Welcome to Happy, Sad, Confused. I am Josh Horowitz, but you probably knew that because you are a wise podcast consumer and you saw my name on whatever you just clicked. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, guys, as always. This is the latest edition of my weekly podcast wherein I talk to some pretty cool folks, and that definitely fits the bill for my guest this week. Can you feel it, guys? I know you do. It's Oscar season. It's award season. Uh, and this guy, my guest today, is – he might be the front runner. He might be the guy that ends up with an Oscar in his hands uh, come next, I guess, February. He certainly uh, is well-deserving of all the accolades that have come and that are to come for his performance in The Theory of Everything. Uh, my guest is Eddie Redmayne, who is a delightfully charm- charming and talented British actor who you might know – from probably most notably Les Miserables, in which he was part of that amazing ensemble, uh, but now is uh, taking center stage with his, yeah, I'll say it, it's a cliche, tour de force performance as Stephen Hawking. Uh, this is a biopic uh, with him and Felicity Jones, who frankly will probably also be very much in the awards hunt. But forget all the awards attention. This is just a very good movie and an amazing performance, a heartfelt um Super strong performance from uh, Eddie, and it's exciting to see him getting all these new opportunities. Um, he's been he's been working for a while. He's done a lot of theater, but now he's kind of going to the next level. It seems. Um, for context, guys, a couple things. So at the beginning of this interview, the first thing I think you're going to hear is um, Eddie uh, playing with a uh, action figure on my desk. Yeah. I'm an adult man with action figures, but this is the, this is the Birdman action figure. So you're going to hear him uh, amused and delighted by that. Uh, also, we talk a little bit about a movie beyond Theory of Everything. We talk a lot about that movie and his career, but we also talk about this really cool, crazy movie you've probably seen the trailer for from the Wachowskis called Jupiter Ascending. It doesn't open for a few months. I got a chance to see it really early on. We talk about it a little bit at the outset and then get into a lot of other cool things about Theory of Everything, about Eddie's – he's super frank about his audition stories, amazing stories about auditioning for Star Wars – that didn't go so well, apparently. Um, for The Hobbit, also didn't go so well, apparently. Um, he is, I don't know what the Brits have, but, uh, Eddie is one of the most charming guys, um, in the business today and a great actor to boot. So it is my delight to present this conversation. One other small technical note. The interview gets kind of cut off at the end. There's no delightful goodbye and, and have a, a great day, Eddie. It just kind of uh, trails off, uh, after, uh, an interesting, uh, exchange. Um, that was a technical issue, but there's more than enough, uh, fun conversation here for you to sink your teeth into. Uh, as always, guys, go over to wolfpop.com. Check out all the cool podcasts over there, including past episodes of Happy Sag Infused. Hit me up on Twitter, Joshua Horowitz. Let me know what you're loving, who you want to hear on the show, etc., etc. And uh, I guess that's it. Without any further ado, here is uh, the awesome actor, cool guy that is Eddie Redmayne. That's amazing. <laughs> that is absolutely horrible. Smells like bomb. That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, oh shit! Oh, fuck, no, I don't know what <laughs> fuck. Wait, have they made these? Are these like proper things these you can are, buy, or is this, this a one-off? No, this is the best swag I've ever gotten. I don't know if you can actually buy that. You should be able to you buy that. You should be able to, well, you will be able to soon. Uh, credit to the Fox Searchlight people. They, oh, that's their, uh, they that's did it right. Their, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah, I usually don't keep that crap, except um, this one is too good. They love, uh, they love action, not the 
this talky, depressing, philosophical bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I think this is the greatest thing to yeah, have ever. I probably, on your desk. I probably, I probably uh, between that and the Inception totem. Oh wow! We don't even, even need to talk, Eddie. We can just do this. Hardcore, you've got some serious. <laughs> wait, that's kind of satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where is the theory of everything swag? Seriously, Come on, guys. I'm wearing glasses. <laughs> glasses, stars, I don't know what else to give you. It's all good, it's all oh, good. God, Your presence that, is enough. They're pretty satisfying as well. Uh, not the name drop, but oh. Jessica Chastain um, uh, challenged me to yeah. that, uh, to see who could do it, and I just killed her. It was just, it was, it was painful. So we can do that at the end if Amazing. you want to see okay. how you do it. I'll take on Chastain. Um, we're off and running, that's cool. Wonderful, let's do it. Is yeah, that good? Yeah. Uh, it's been too long. Congratulations on this one, man. Thank you, mate. This Thank is a, you. This is a good one. Um, I should say, first of all, actually, and I probably can't say too much because Warner Brothers would kill me, yeah. I saw Jupiter as well. Oh, did you really? I saw Jupiter Ascending. In the last week, I've seen both that and Theory of Everything, so I've seen the two sides of Eddie Redmayne. Wowzer, they're, they're two quite <laughs> contrasting sides, I imagine. And by the way, I mean, I, we won't talk like, a lot about that because yeah. there's, there's a lot to come on that, but I love what that interpretation of that character in Jupiter. It's, um, <laughs> Thank you. I mean, how how to describe the voice? What, was that on the page in terms of like what you were? You're kind of like throwing away every line, every yeah. like the. Well, there's no. What was on the page? I mean, on the page, Andy and Lana had written so much sort of ambiguity as to this sort of family. They're basically these sort of people that are these tycoons out in space. This yeah. family, this sort of legacy of slightly wealthy, very vain people out in space, and. Um, they and so there were bits sort of about their backstory was kind of referred to like that that, that um at some point Channing's character sort of ripped someone's throat out so that sort of gave me some ideas <laughs> but I still don't know if I was doing ripped throat out acting he seems um, like almost vampiric yeah. he's like uh... well there was something I don't know there was something what's amazing about working with um, the Wachowskis is you know for example on the Hawking film you do all the research you can and you. You know, you see all the photographs and yeah. you, and you're quite meticulous with it and take that to things like costume fittings and try to find all the exact references. And on this, you, you turn up and to the first costume fitting. And I just remember sort of sequins being <laughs> attached to me. More sequins for Mr. Redmond. And I was like, I don't, you know, to begin with, you have no idea yeah. how to even enter that conversation because it's so in Lana and Andy's head and then gradually I'm like I'm not sure that the cut of my sequence is quite <laughs> but it was it was um, what ended up happening is is it just became so liberating yeah. in some ways so it was um if you're gonna go into that realm you want <laughs> like you know to use the, the cliche of visionary filmmaker and and those two um I mean I know Cloud Atlas divided people but I, I, I'm enthralled by that film yeah. and they obviously me, they just away. go for it and yeah. that's what you want in a filmmaker someone that's not going to play it safe someone that's just going to totally. push boundaries and also this sense that I think that in there's so much nowadays there is a huge sort of ensemble or committee of people who are who are directing the film I've just seen your poster for Willow on the wall <laughs> and Willow I saw when I was about 8 years old and I went with a a friend of my mum and dad's and I had to go to the loo 15 times because I was so scared <laughs> literally and I had to whenever oh, they started the queen, stealing the, the queen boot, Bev Morda yeah, is stealing quite, the baby yeah. and I kept going to the, and, and the, the, my parents friend who I was with was like are you alright so I just go to the loo again <laughs> no I really need the loo I basically <laughs> just sat in the loo terrified <laughs> we need to take Eddie to the doctor after this seriously <laughs> but I've never been able to watch it again oh that's, man that's, that's, I think you can handle it now do you reckon yeah. no babies being stolen by like scary queens <laughs> 
It's just but a dashing Val Kilmer. It's got it all. Yeah. <laughs> I recommend it. Um, where was I? We oh, were, yeah, we're talking sequence. about those crazy. Yes, yes. The the spectacle. And, 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 they, and, yeah. they also basically they nowadays it's, there it does seem to be this because films are so expensive and you it, so many people have a voice yeah. in in the final thing. And what was amazing to do was a film on a, on a sort of you know this giant canvas like Jupiter, but really. Because it's so in the minds of yeah. Andy and Lana that you you just have to go with them, and that was kind of liberating. So I think I think probably the last time I was talking to you a bunch was obviously on the Les Mis kind of publicity circuit, and I, I feel like I remember actually that film kind of emerged. I feel around like you, then. Were, you I was sort of testing for it or something. Yeah, and you were I, desperately I, trying to get information. You have a memory, exactly, exactly. So <laughs> tends to be the way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it's a little dynamic. Um, so was that? I mean, did Les Mis feel like offer you a whole new kind of level of opportunity? Did it feel like because of that company of actors before, because of obviously how acclaimed it was you kind of move up a rung in terms of material or was it great question it's so weird to try and sort of to I mean, analyze you what you're on you, I mean, all, all you, all, all, no is the true answer yeah. I mean you, you're aware that I think if, if films do well and, and make a bit of you know have a bit of a splash at the box office then then you tend to get a little bit more choice, but yeah. for me, always if you, I've always tried to sort of, to sort of not get boxed too much, um, and and if you want to break out of those those boundaries or what people see you as, you're always having to fight for work. So right. so it's not like you do one film and then you suddenly start getting offered work. Often you'll start getting offered maybe a musical or two or something, you know. Right. And, and in order to try and move in another direction, you have to keep. Keep persuading people. That is it an exciting or daunting prospect, though, that there probably is some choice now for maybe the, first, the last couple of years for the first time in your career, where you know I've talked to many actors where it's like take what you can get, and now you you have the luxury of of choice. Well, I don't have the luxury of choice. Really? I mean, I, as in one, I mean, I really, I did, you know, I fought pretty hard for for the theory of everything. Yeah. It was not, um, it, it was not an easy. Um, it was such a beautiful script and, and a beautiful part, but it was you know quite competitive i think but um but no you do often those things that you get often are the things you don't want um, yeah and so i think i don't know it's like anything in life you sort of just have to keep um keep keep sort of trying to move forward and, yeah. and push the boundaries of what you've done so for this one is there is there like an actual like audition process or is it just meeting with james and kind of well what it was was it was i i'd read the script and I thought it was going to be a film about Stephen Hawking, a sort of biopic about him, and and it. When I read it, it was this sort of kind of riveting, complicated love story, and and with Stephen and Jane at, at the centre of that, and and it felt like it had a sort of you know, um, it felt like an analysis of love in like in in young love and passionate love, but also. Love of subject matter, those sorts, of, and and also the the failings of of love. So I found that kind of all riveting. But then, um, but when I heard James was doing it, I'd seen Man on Wire. And right. Basically, Man on Wire totally blew my mind. And and again in that film, I thought he subverted what the film was cosmetically about. Right. Um, and so no, I chased it. it. Involved calling him in Copenhagen. Doing that thing that we all do in job interviews of pretending we're really confident and we know what we're talking about, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, I could do this," you know. And then, then he came to London, and we went to a pub, and it was about, uh, I think it was about two, three in the afternoon. And he was like, "What are you going to drink?" And I was like, "Do I go for coffee or do I go for beer?" It's a big know. choice, it's a big right? Choice. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to be judged on this as well. So I was like, "I'll, I'll have a beer," and he's like, "Okay, Eddie, will have a beer. I'll have a coffee." Oh. I was like, God. <laughs> so he basically just. 
he tanked a few beer, uh, a few um, coffees. And right. So he was just like crazy with high on caffeine yeah. and, and I was just I tanked a few beers and was just basically drunk and somewhere in there like we basically admitted our fears and I think James and I you know he's amazing at grabbing our hands and then making you feel confident so so what what were those fears because there got there are a lot of pitfalls to fall yeah. into something like this and so, somehow you guys successfully avoided them what were the ones that you guys discussed or the ones that were on your mind even during shooting were like Above all, all, else, uh, all else, don't fall into that, that trap. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the biggest fear was that James, um, James, that Jane and Stephen and Jonathan and Stephen Jane's family were going to see the film. I mean, ultimately, if you're playing someone's putting their life on screen, yeah. they're going to be the, the ultimate critic. Uh, so that was there from day one. Um, but what was interesting is it really did feel like there were so many aspects of their lives, whether it was really trying desperately to understand the science um which i found a wee bit tricky that's <laughs> daunting for any human being my god yeah. science. um so trying to re-educate myself there um but then really uh, immerse myself in in understanding what ls is and and yeah. what the physical ramifications but also the kind of suppose, emotional um consequences of it are on the people around you and um and then, and then, uh, meeting Stephen and Jane and um, and the family, and trying to glean from them that their take on it all. But um, but above them also, then the sense of making a film, like you know, making something. That <laughs> and then is, there's that old yeah, exactly. whole thing about making the actual movie. Totally. But I, one of the things I find, which I, is also like films cost money, and and it, it's much easier to try and forget that because otherwise, I, I remember when I did The Good Shepherd, like um, one of the first films I did, and. It was filming in New York, and I was over here, and and it's huge blacked-out cars take you to Brooklyn to a gigantic studio, and they were like the most amazing cast, and so all these extraordinarily famous actors, and and Robert De Niro was directing it, and then suddenly there's a cam and huge sets, and you just see sort of money everywhere, and then suddenly there's like a camera two inches from your face, right? And 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 it's quite difficult to not to feel that the weight of like financial responsibility. <laughs> and so I even feel that like, which is probably a bit ridiculous. Or, or, well, no, I mean, is it, but yeah, so I feel all of those things. So there were quite a few yeah. things to keep me up at night. You'll be pleased to hear I didn't sleep much for seven, eight months. Do you, after the, the process is over and you see the film, I mean, do you go when, when you go into that screening room to see the film for the first time, are you a natural optimist or pessimist? Do you walk in and be like, steal yourself for disappointment at this point? Or are you ready to embrace what you guys have created? Always, um, you're, you're never happy. And particularly on this film when, you know, there's so much documentary footage of Stephen um, and I've worked with this amazing group of people to really try and get as close to Stephen as I could physically and vocally and and that involved James, the director, allowing me to watch the dailies every night and so this weird thing happens when you start having the dailies on one screen and the reality and you're hoping that these two things are going to merge but they basically you know they're never gonna, going to And um, but what was interesting is that James was so collaborative and he allowed me to come and see a cut and and what I've learned from past experiences when I watch a film the first time I can't take any I mean I just end up wanting to you know go to that pub again yeah exactly <laughs> head straight back to the pub um, so I asked him if I could watch it by myself in the morning then take lunch and then watch it a second time in the afternoon because then you get you stop 
being basically so selfish yeah, you and need to get about through what that you're first doing. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually you can see the thing as a whole rather than um and and so that was interesting. After that I sort of talked uh, and then James and I went back to the pub and we talked through it and, and he was and but I was no, I felt what was amazing is you've been so much in just Stephen's story that I'd lost track of the the big picture. Yeah. Because um and I was pretty pretty moved. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I I think the film and I'm sure you're hearing this from people that it accomplishes is that it humanizes this like icon who's kind of like been almost deified in our minds. Mm. It's like, he's not flesh and blood. He's something bigger than all of us. But like, and it's, it's such a smart move. Like literally the first shot of the film, what is him riding a, a bicycle? And it's just like the most exuberant, mm. like human action you can see. And it's like, yes, he was, was, and is still just like all of us. He has all those kind of, um, passions and 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 frailties and and all of it yeah um and i and i feel like it does a re- really great job of like putting you in his shoes like there's that moment of like the diagnosis of, of like sort of knowing the path or potential path you must have to put yourself in those shoes in, in those when you're reading the script or when you're preparing for a scene when you're like how would i like how does a human being even react to a moment like that being told you have potentially two years to live or at best that you're gonna live a a fragment of the kind of yeah. life that you imagine. I mean, is that is that something that do you kind of like get the work done before you get to set in processing all that, or are you still sort of like sorting all of that out in your mind when you're shooting the scene? If that well, makes sense, that does make. I, I, I in that four months was going to before prep, it was really meeting lots of people who were suffering from ALS and and trying to hear their stories really, and but but also seeing their. Um, extraordinary optimism and and for example there was this one gentleman who i saw him in a clinic and it was the morning after i mean the night before he'd almost choked to death had gone to er and um and he came down the following morning to breakfast and the first thing he said to his wife is i wonder what death-defying act i can do today um (laughs) and uh and you know this idea of finding really trying there's so many when you are given that ultimatum of that two to five years which most people with als are given it's this a gigantic obstacles that are put in front of you, and how you choose to how you choose to react to that, or or, or try and defy those things and live your life is 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 kind of what defines you, really. Yeah. And, and and certainly with what was amazing in Stephen's case is he was he did go into melancholia. He sort of listened sure. to a load of Wagner, and um and and it was Jane. It was them getting engaged. And literally the reality of him going, God, I need to, we need to live in a house now. So I need to earn some money. So I need to probably get on with this whole work malarkey. And, um, and, but the fact that, you know, together they managed to, to find this positive energy age 21, 22 after being diagnosed with this and just keep running with it. And like when you meet him now, he, he just has this amazing, extraordinary humor, but like amazing sense of mischief. He like has this kind of sort of, it is. It's a, a sort of a glint and a. Yeah. I describe it as like a Lord of Misrule quality. He has this sort of thing. Like he's totally in control of a situation. Yeah, I feel like he's got one up on all of us. Totally. <laughs> he's absolutely. And so you're constantly. I mean, I made it continuously made a fool of myself when I met him, and and you can see him kind of <laughs> enjoying that. So it's like, yeah. It, it, I mean, in the last couple of years, I mean, between the daunting task of Les Mis, of, of, of this uh, insane project of singing on the Oscars. I mean, you've kind that of like... That was the worst. <laughs> that was by far and away the most daunting. Was it? Yeah. There was a... Oh, my God. Because we, we shot Les Mis and we sang live, but 
the thing about filming singing live is if you screw up a take you get another shot at it and what was weird is that song that we sang at the Oscars one day more had all been shot in with each of the actors doing their own different parts so even though we were singing a huge ensemble piece right. we'd never actually all sung it together right and suddenly we were doing it and this time we didn't have another take and the people like the guys stage managers behind the scenes at the Oscars was so kind and generously reminding me just before going on that a billion people <laughs> that's a lot of strain on like a vocal cord that's not used to not used to having such a, a high stakes workout the- I mean why not? I didn't have an option everyone else was doing it I couldn't be like guys I'm gonna I'm gonna bow out of this I'm one bow Russell out you of take this over exactly. <laughs> it's a great guy on board though yeah, who, can, who can come and fill it in does I mean does do these kind of events in the last couple of years give you a confidence where you're like I, I can kind of tackle pretty much anything and no, no? I wish I did we just come from doing the today's show and I always get such a I just get I just get so I do suffer from 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 nerves I remember I remember though once doing a um I did a charity um event in London which Danny Boyle directed and Tom Hiddleston <laughs> there was doing it and Benedict Cumberbatch were doing it and I was doing a, everyone was doing monologues and I was doing a duologue with Rose Byrne mm-hmm. and I remember we only had a day to prepare for it and it was this sort of char- and it was a weird thing because actors we never normally see each other all doing the same right. thing the same kind of exercise for for a day and 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 Charlie Cox my pal who was in who's in Theory of Everything was doing it and I remember at the end of the day Charlie or Rose came up to Charlie and was like I'm kind of I feel really, you know, quite nervous about doing this in the public, and and and, and she was like, I don't quite quite know why. And Charlie just turned away because you're doing it with Eddie. And he's, like a, he's a nutcase. He's like a barrel of nerves. Like he can't can't put it Stop together. Stop this all down, exactly, Eddie. Come no, on. exactly. But they, but it was amazing. It was like, and that, but that, no. So I do still get nervous. But I hope. I think that. And yet you've done so much live theater. I mean, yet that seems incongruous. I mean, is there something that clicks in your brain in a different way when you're doing theater? Yeah, but it's also just preparation. When yeah. you're doing live theater, you've you've had the words down for months. You've been working with a group in a safe place with a group of people for four or five weeks. And uh, um, and uh, you're... <laughs> the Inception <laughs> totem is Inception telling us that the reality is about to crumble. Stop making the Birdman sculpture. Shit, sorry. For those that are not in the room, Eddie is destroying my Birdman action figurine and his glasses. I know, and his glasses. I'm slightly worried that you might have to check that still here. No, it's going to be okay. Let's just check him one more time. Yes. Michael Keaton, are you still with us? Yeah. (laughs) He knows. He wants out of this horribleness. Uh, What were we talking about? Oh, live theater and embarrassing moments like that. Exactly. I mean, have you ever? Have you ever like just totally crashed and burned yeah, on totally. stage? Yeah, I've, and I've had that thing that you know. I think even people that aren't actors who've ever done like a play at school have that you know that nightmare thing of forgetting lines. And I once did it. I was doing a play actually with Donald Gleeson. Um, we were doing a play in London at the Royal Court Theatre, and just halfway through, I just completely blanked. And it was like that that nightmare you've had, and it was just like this white noise. No, really, <laughs> I could just see all these people in the audience. I was like, oh wow, this is what it feels like. Everything goes, goes into slow motion. I was like, wow, I really don't know what's coming up next. So what happened? Well, I just heard like people like Donal and these other actors were desperately trying to help me out and were trying to like give me feed me lines, but all I could hear was literally like, and then I just and I just sort of basically I was like shut. Up. I was playing America. I was like shut up, shut up. I have to. And I went back to the the place where this monologue started and started the monologue all over again and. And I came out and found out that the head of Warner Brothers was watching, which was <laughs> horrific. <laughs> so, yeah. And back to the pub again. Exactly. <laughs> <Genuinely>. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, so uh, you have some very nice friends because I've noticed that you, since you've been in town, you've had some nice screenings here hosted oh, by some amazing Very folks. generous friends who sweetly have got behind the movies. So, yeah, yeah, Scarlett uh, did one. Hugh Jackman yeah. did one. I'm missing one. Someone else did. Andrew Garfield. Oh, Andrew Garfield, yeah. of no, course. Yeah. meant the world. And it, uh, particularly, I mean, yeah, busy people. Yeah. Scarlett's just had a maybe she's doing a play around the corner I think down here and so no it's meant the world that they've got so behind it was Andrew a friend as you kind of like moved through the ranks in terms of yeah. someone you encountered along the way and Garth and I met at an audition for a film called Brothers of the Head did you ever meet that? <laughs> no which was a film about these two did that turn uh, into Spider-Man? <laughs> I missed that one <laughs> <laughs> it was about two twins that in theory kind of created the like the punk movement in England okay. but we were auditioning for it and they had many actors auditioning for it and um and I remember I think who else was there Tommy Sturridge was there and I think even Dom Cooper and oh, all wow. this, this was about 10 11 years ago and um but and we were all being paired together we didn't quite know why we were being paired together and there and photos were being taken to see if we looked like each other and then we were told it was twins but I was, uh, later it transpired it was about Siamese twins and um, <laughs> anyway so Garth and I auditioned together and um, and we became pals and it, the weird thing for you know if you start in theatre in London it's all very sort of suddenly if you're invited to go or you go to LA to try and get work it's a, it's a totally different world yeah. it can be quite overwhelming so that's why I think we Andrew and I and um, a, f- a few a few of us um, would would rent places together or stay on friends' floors and and the absurdity of those early times when you're like you know you're in a renting a banged up motor and then turning up and parking it you know trying not to get a parking ticket parking it outside Paramount and then walking in trying to pretend you, <laughs> you, you know that you're a sort of bona fide actor is, right. it was that's such fun memories but yeah so old friendships when, when you see like someone like Andrew go through what you know his opportunities in the last few years and, and different friends I'm sure mm. you know you get your moment at different stages I mean was there ever a sense of like what if my moment doesn't come what if the the opportunity and timing doesn't work out where I get the career that I that necessarily uh, desire is God, that you know what ever to be honest everything I've been incredibly lucky and I and I everything that I could have possibly dreamed of has basically happened already it happened when I did a play down the road here you know it was um uh and I've been able to keep working and for an actor that's uh, that's basically all you dream of that, that what was what's been really wonderful about our group of friends or this group of us who started out is you know of course we all went up for a lot of the same jobs but you'd win some and you'd lose some yep. and then if it was your buddy who got it of course you wanted the job but if your buddy got it at least you're like at least it's someone i love and yeah and respect and and um and so no it's never felt i mean it really hasn't felt competitive everyone's been sort of supportive of each other and i know yeah. that sounds silly but it really was um we've also all had our own little breaks along the way and sure how is the um, uh, also in the last few years? Um, you know, you got you got your crazy ginormous space opera out of the way, uh, but like a comic book movie, I know has come close to happening a few different times. Oh, which one, sorry? A comic book kind of thing, yeah. like Guardians, obviously yeah. they yeah. talked about, and, and I guess well, Guardians actually, I never, I never. Oh, really? I, I met met with the director, but then I I um, didn't end up okay. thinking that. It's interesting because you read all this stuff on the you internet about things, assume, and, you're yeah. like, and you're like, ah, it's not actually true. <laughs> but no, but I had amazing. Um, and really great. I, you know, I auditioned or tested for, for Dane DeHaan's yeah. part in, um, in, in Spider-Man, um, Spider-Man sure. 2. And that was, what was amazing about that was getting to, 
you know, these tests are pretty intense for the big studio films. You really, you know, you're fully in costume, gigantic. Oh, so you're in goblin you know, makeup and everything? You know, well, you're, I don't think I ended up being goblin makeup, but I was in like a fully Harry Osborn Crazy. style. And you're, but what was amazing about that was getting to, again, Andrew and I have never actually worked together since oh, yeah. that audition. Yeah. Is, and that's fun because you get to sort of, you just get to have moments playing with each other. What's, what's complicated about it is that you, you know, before you do those tests, you sort of, you sign your life away in right. some ways before that. And so what's interesting is you try to stop your mind from thinking, oh, God, this, I might be doing this for a few years. Right. Or, you know, and, um, um, but there is a part of you that emotionally sort of gets a little bit close to, to committing to it. And then, so it's always, you know, it's a bit, yeah. it's a bit sort of, um, but, but that was the most wonderful experience. And again, Dane is such an yeah. extraordinary actor. You go, okay, that's all. <laughs> Nailed that. What's, uh, do, you, do you have in your mind like the, the audition that you never want to come close to replicating again? Like, the, is there the worst audition oh, memory hundreds, ever? Hundreds. I've recently, um, recently my Star Wars audition was pretty catastrophically no, no. bad. What happened? Well, oh God, I was just this wonderful casting director called Nina Gold, who I absolutely love. And I just went in and did this scene. And after like seven times of trying to play, um, a, you know, I think it was for a baddie. We weren't, you know, the scene wasn't yeah, from yeah. the film. We weren't allowed to sort of really know much about it. And, and I remember Nina was like, anything else? Have you got, got any other <laughs> tricks in your bag? <laughs> any other thing? I was like, no, I'm all out. She's like, okay. I think we're going to have to agree to <laughs> part on this one. I was like, okay, there we go. <laughs> Childhood dream crushed. <laughs> but no, I did a very embarrassing audition for The Hobbit as well. That was pretty <laughs> awful. Trying to, trying to do my Bilbo Baggins impression. It was not very good. Um, yeah, no, I've had my fair share. Amazing. But what's fun is you then get to go and see those films. You're like, oh, yeah, I yeah. was so far off. <laughs> <laughs> so is um, what's your like appetite right now in terms of uh, you obviously had, have done so much theater. Is theater still a priority or would you want to come back to Broadway well, here oh, or God. West End? Or? Yeah, no, I'd love to. But for, for theater, okay, so with plays, I always look at it like in the worst case scenario. I go, okay, if, if, if it ends up being a complete... Um, catastrophe and the reviewers hate it and um, you know no one comes and sees the play is there still enough in the part or in the play right. to sustain me for a few months because that's what you know it really is a, a sort of quite a long commitment with theatre um, and that's quite an easy choice to make Wait, it has to be something that really sparkles yeah. and, whereas what I found it's much more complicated with film because there's a sort of alchemy side of film that I've done scripts that I thought on the page were, were wonderful that end up being pretty shoddy films and, right. and then the other way around like ones that you think mm, not so sure and they end up being sort of interesting work um, so uh, with theatre it's about it's literally about what the, the words are I suppose yeah. what the play is and um but where one does it, you know, this city is amazing, New York, because because there's such a sense of community. All the theatres back onto each other, so everyone kind of like. I'll never forget when I did Red Round the Corner. I just arrived in New York, and um, they do these things called uh, Gypsy Runs, which mm -hmm. is the last dress rehearsal you do, and basically all the Broadway community come to watch it because they won't be. They'll be doing plays at the same time as you, so sure. they won't be able to come see it. And I did it with Alfred Molina, and I remember him saying, "Ed, by the way, this will be." the best audience you've ever experienced. And he was absolutely right. They were like the most generous. <laughs> but after that, I got this sweet note from Zoe Kazan and Paul Dano, who Aww. had been sick. And Zoe was doing a play next door. And at this time, I was feeling kind of a bit nervous because it was the first time Broadway. And, and they wrote uh, this sort of sweet note saying, look, we're doing a play next door. And I don't know if you want to. And, um, and they've become such good friends. There's like a nice. real sense of people 
in this community really taking care of each other. So, do you feel do you feel at home here in New York versus? I mean, a lot of people I know. I grew up here in the city. It's like in one of the few other cities I feel a kinship with is frankly London. There's, so, there's yeah. something there's something parallel about those two cities. I feel like I, I I love this city, and I have I've had a weird sort of obsession with it since I was a kid before even coming. And and um and when I was here doing the play, and when I did the Good Shepherd here, I just love it. So I hope it will be a part. Of, and the great thing about my job is you get to travel wherever the yeah. wherever the work is. So. Well, let's, let's talk about Good Shepherd. You mentioned it a little bit before. Um, I'm fascinated by that because De Niro is such like an enigmatic, unusual mm. figure, and the fact that he can summon up enough words to direct a company yeah. of actors and crew is, is yeah. almost boggles my mind because it feels like he's either acting or he's silent in a room somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So what I mean was he was he emotive as a, yeah. as a director or was well, he? It's amazing. Nero has an amazing warmth as well. Like he, like he really, and and the, the audition process for that was months and months and months of flying myself over here, and and so by the time that I got the part, I felt pretty. Um, you know, he he was very very kind to me, and and so there's a lot. I mean, what was so interesting? I remember one of the techniques he. I think he directs how he likes to to work, and one of the scenes that was quite an emotional scene with Matt Damon, and what. What he would have us do, you'd do the scene, um, and then you'd reach a sort of emotional place by the end. And then he would, rather than call cut, you would go straight back to the beginning of the scene and start, you know, start again channeling that that emotion that you kind of fueled towards the end, the oh, scene back into the front. And it was an amazing thing that, and it's one that I've I've I'm on in Les Misérables and Empty Chairs and Empty Tables, that big song that that Marius has. I asked Tom Hooper if I could use that technique because Start all over, yeah. again and, and, and it, it only works in a certain circumstance because you have to be starting the film at a, uh, starting the scene at an emotional pitch that 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 works for but but it's quite a good interesting way to get somewhere and then repress it so i learned a lot from yeah um De Niro. He's an amazing man do you, i mean do you you know you've been in films of, of different types some that have succeeded on a massive scale and some that just like kind of like go by like yeah. it like it's like like that and yeah. if you don't if you blink you miss it sadly <laughs> yeah, you know and, right. it, and doesn't have to do with the quality it's just yeah. it's a thousand different things well, sometimes that's sometimes it does there's a correlation but sometimes not necessarily does that get easier or is it sort of still like is it, is it a bruise that's hard to um does it get well the weird thing with films is that you, you i do put like everything into each part and even if it's the yeah, you know, and uh, there's such a variety of it, but you really do give your you, you never go into a film wanting it to be bad. You really, right. really sort of pour everything into it, and you've done it for a, a set of reasons. And um, and yeah, it does. I'll be honest. It does, when, when something ends up not working, then then it's disappointing because yeah. you've you've also left home and you've lived away in a hotel room by yourself for five months, and 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 you're, you've sort of and then if it's something that's Either doesn't quite work, doesn't find an audience, or just gets, or is embarrassing. Then, right. then you go, oh, crikey, that's but that's a waste of. I suppose, like any job, it's like those deals that don't work out, or those, yeah. you know, um, bad, bad days at the office. Right. But I no, it is. Yeah, it's always sad. What, uh, growing up, what were you like? What was what was the what were the films that you were obsessed with? What was your kind of? Do you know? Okay, so what were the films I was obsessed with? I my first film I was obsessed with was the cartoon of Robin Hood. Okay. Totally obsessed with it. Watched it on repeat. Gave it to my godson recently, and <laughs> of course, it doesn't look nearly high tech enough for him. And I sort of made him sit. Like, I could only keep him there for like forty minutes. Like, where's Frozen? I don't need this now. box. Exactly. Yeah. Where's Frozen? <laughs> um, so, uh, um, but so that was my. F- um, 
what other i was kind of late to getting a film education i was actually it was when i was doing the other berlin girl with scarlett johansson she was talking about i think it was about the big lebowski or something i had to embarrassingly admit that i'd never seen it and and then she started asking about, yeah, but in The Godfather, did I? And I was like, no, I haven't seen that either. And she was so appalled that she made all the sort of crew write down five films, and I was sort of given a list that I'm still working through. But I, mean, but I, I suppose recently films that I, 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 the Darden Brothers films, oh, yeah. I love their work. Yeah. Um, I God, there's been so much that's. I thought Blue Valentine was an extraordinary film. Derek Sierfrans is someone that I yeah. killed to work with. I'm about to work with Alicia Vikander and something, and she's. Um, uh, doing a film, his next film with with Rachel Weisz and Michael Fassbender. Oh wow! To, that's to me sounds like quite a <laughs> quite a quartet. Um, so looking forward to that. Um, and but this, is, I mean, this I just saw Birdman, which I just thought was so yeah. sensationally acted. And um, I'm trying to think what else have I? Oh, I actually saw Andrew's film with Michael Shannon. Oh, ninety nine uh, Holmes, right? Holmes, yeah, which I thought was pretty formidable. I think. Um, but one of the things about Birdman was Ed Norton. And I remember that he I, he, I remember watching, I worked, there was a, a film critic called Barry Norman, do you know him? It's a bit of an institution in England. And okay. he was, did, ran a film show at, at Sky Television. And when I was like 18 or 19, I did work experience, um, on his film show. And I remember I used to have to sort of, Basically, my job was to watch raw footage of film premieres and then write down anything the actors said in case they wanted to cut it into these promos and right. stuff. And um, but I remember what, sitting down to starting at about six o'clock in the evening at the end of the day, work to watch American History X and um, being totally blown away by it. And it was so amazing to see both in Grand Budapest Hotel and in Birdman. Yeah, I was just listening to somebody talk about him and like that trajectory is so odd because like his first film I think was Primal Fear well, and like he just like burst out. It's like he came fully formed. Fully formed. It's like where where have you been? Interesting, <laughs> so interesting that isn't it? But it's also like I, I feel that nowadays because maybe social media and stuff are much more aware of people at, at yeah. earlier stages in their career. Maybe, yeah. But like, but also I, I yeah I remember. With Michael Fassbender, uh, there was someone that we'd been seeing on extraordinary things on British television, right. film, you no know, budget film. And I remember being in London about five, six years ago, and an American agent being like, Oh, there's this kid Fassbender. I was like, no, He's extraordinary. He <laughs> has me. been for a long time. And, um, but that, Your discovery today, yeah, exactly. I've known about for yeah. a little bit. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, no, so it's, it is interesting, though. But no, I feel like I've, I've definitely made a load of mistakes publicly. <laughs> Here's a quick message for Happy Sad Confused listeners. Please help Happy Sad Confused stay free to download by completing a short anonymous survey. I promise you guys, this is going to take no more than five minutes of your valuable time, and your answers will help match our show with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of my podcast and listeners like you. Also, as a bonus, listeners who complete this survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. I promise you guys, we're not going to share or sell your email email address. We're not going to send you an email, in fact, unless you win the gift card. So please just go to podsurvey.com slash happy. That's podsurvey.com slash happy. Take the survey and get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Thanks. Pop. 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 Pop.
Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.